Hey, everybody, and welcome to the TriFaster podcast presented by the Fort Worth Tri Club, where we dive into triathlon-specific training and coaching, discuss current triathlon news and races. Uh, and in today's episode, we have a very interesting slate of topics, a little bit of a, a ma- mashup. Uh, I am currently two weeks out from the Chicago Marathon, so I'm going to begin my taper. We'll talk quickly on that. Uh, we also are at the end of the triathlon season, so there's a lot of championships going on. There's a lot of different race organizations. Um putting on their so declared world championships. So today we're going to dive into each of those organizations, talk about them, what we like about each one, what we don't like, um, and which organization do we think will fail first. So kind of a bunch of hot topics, um, for the conversation today. And I'm joined by my friend and coach Keith Kotar. How you doing Keith? Pretty good, Michael. So I'm looking forward to this. I know it's a very mixed bag of topics. Um, some people will be probably not, not all that interested, but if you've been around triathlon for a while, you've seen some of these organizations like Ironman that has been around for a very long time and new organizations come up like the PTO. Um, I think you'll be very interested in the things that we have to talk about before we jump into all that though, Keith, can you give us a quick training update? Yeah. So we had the, uh, the PTO race came here to Texas last weekend. Uh, well a week, just over a week ago. And, uh, it was, it was really great. Um, it was a quality event. I think the organization was really, really good. Um, for us in the age group race, the, uh, they had a sprint 25 K on Saturday, uh, followed by the pro women. And then on Sunday morning we had the the hundred K and it was supposed to be was supposed to be a hundred K. Um, but because of the heat for the age groupers they ended up shortening our race and they essentially cut a lap off of each sport. So it ended up being one K. 53 K and 11 K. And so that was kind of disappointing because I think that it was really, really hot and it would have been fun to, to race in the the miserable conditions, but, um, it was, it was good. It was fun. Um, for me, the race went fairly well. I think it was a good sign that I'm probably getting in better shape gradually. Um, I, I kind of felt a little bit dead and flat all day long. Um, it felt like I was kind of going Ironman pace all day and the power wasn't really that high, but I wasn't really going hard, but I felt like I didn't have another gear kind of in all three sports. Um, I didn't really start feeling good till there. Each one was each discipline was almost over. Um, so that was a little bit disappointing, but you know, I still averaged about 24 miles an hour on the bike and, and ran 601 per mile. So it was, it was comfortable. Um, I think that's doable for 70.3. Um, the swim wasn't so great, kind of felt a little off, but got beat up a lot too, which was surprising because the field wasn't that big. Um, I don't know if it was the time of day, but guys were swimming all kinds of diagonal directions. And, um, I don't think I've ever been swum across so many times in a race. I was swimming straight at the buoy. Um, their sight buoys were kind of 20 or 30 meters off the line of the turn buoy. And so I think there were a lot of people that started to swim toward the sight buoys after they realized that they were way to the left of them. And so I think that that may have caused some confusion um, out there in the swim, but uh, the bike course was really fun. There were a lot of turns. Um, There was a dreaded right-handed U-turn, but I actually was able to navigate that pretty well. And it still was a really fast course. I think Um, it was kind of rolling. I don't know if exactly if I trust my Garmin, I got 1700 feet of climbing on the 53 K. It was definitely not, it wasn't an easy course as far as the, the 
ups and downs, but it wasn't, it didn't seem like it was quite that much, but there were some deceptive uphills and then kind of some long false flats up and down. Um, the turns weren't too bad. Uh, there were a handful of turns that I was able to take in the aero bars and, and it was really nice cause it was, uh, there were long sections where we were on, um, roads that were three, three lanes each direction. And so they actually gave the cyclists two of the lanes and the cars, one of the lanes. And so you were able to kind of just rip through the turns without slowing down a whole lot or, or at all really. So that was pretty nice. Um, the run was good. It was an out and back. Um, I think the two negatives about the run were that you really only had about one person of width. And so if you needed to make a pass, you had to run into oncoming traffic to, uh, to make a pass. So it was a little bit tight. You could probably fit about three people across if you wanted to both directions. And so it was really, really narrow. Um, and then the, uh, the aid stations too, were only on one side of the road. So you got, you got to hit all the aid stations on the way out to the U-turn. And then on the way back, you had to either skip them or run into oncoming traffic again, uh, to grab a bottle. So that was kind of, um, that was a little bit scary. Um, and then this didn't happen to me, but I heard that, um, athletes that weren't that far behind me, maybe 20 or 30 minutes, some guys that were on our team, they said the aid stations were already out of water. And so it's probably a good thing that it was not the full 18 K because it probably would have been chaos out there. Maybe that's why they shortened it. Maybe they knew that they were, were low. Um, but yeah, that, that was, that's pretty disappointing. A couple of guys on my team said that they needed water badly enough that they had to stand there and wait for them to manually fill cups because they were out of bottles. Um, so okay. wow. I'm shocked to hear that. This is the PTO though, right? They haven't hosted that many races. We're going to talk so much more about this and I want to, yeah. I want to ask you some, some questions about it. Um, maybe just highlight, would you do another PTO race? Was it good enough for the price that you paid? Would you go back? For sure. Especially for the the price. I mean, it's a lot cheaper than an Ironman and so, or an Ironman branded half. So that, that was great. Um, it was a nice race. I think it kind of felt like an Ironman. It was kind of small. There were only about 300 or so, maybe 400 people. So that was kind of unusual, but yeah, it was well organized other than the, the aid station issue, which that, again, that didn't affect me. So hopefully that's something they they'll learn from. That's an easy fix. Yeah. But running out of water, another fix. Yeah. It's, yeah, little things like that. I'm, I'm surprised to hear about, especially yeah. since they knew that it was going to be a hot one. Um, yeah. But it could have just been that the women's race the day before yours, they took up, they used it all up, um, which makes a lot of sense anyway. Yeah. Um, well, on my end, um, kind of from a training update perspective, we're two weeks, just under two weeks out from the Chicago Marathon. All the long runs um, are done. The haze in the barn. I guess is, is the way to, is how, is how you view it at this point in time. Um, maybe two observations, the long run I had this weekend coach was so much harder than the one I did the week prior. And I have no, like on paper, I don't think it should have been that much harder, but it was, it just felt harder. My legs were tired in the first four mile marathon pace effort of it. Um, and it was just a serious struggle to get through. Um, so I don't know if there's, you know, if it's just fatigue of going through and doing the full buildup of the long runs and everything leading up to today. Um, or if it's, or if it's something else, but that's just how I was feeling yesterday. Um, so this sport is kind of like a week ago, I was, I 
I think I was texting you like, Hey, the long run was going great. It was easy. I kind of cruised through it. And then the very next week you kind of get kicked down by it. So this is a supportive give and take. Yeah, for sure. And I think though your, your fitness is still pretty good. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to Chicago since we're, we're getting close next weekend already. Two weeks, two weeks. Right. Right. 13 days. Okay. 13 days. I thought you just said next weekend. I was like, Oh crap. Is it? You almost made me nervous. Um, so yes, 13 more days. I feel we'll talk more about it, but I feel confident that I'll, I'll get through two hours of the race at pace before I am put under serious pressure. And it's going to be a battle. It's going to be tough. Um, and so early indications, the weather looking good. Um, at least it's, there's no heat waves anticipated that far out. So, um, yeah, I'm excited for it. <sighs> that leaves the taper, which, um, was, is kind of my last observation I was going to share with you is I really hate tapers. Um, and I don't know what the next two weeks looks like. You'll, you'll draw them up for me, but, um, I'm not looking forward to it. Like I hate tapering. So what, what do I need to know to make the most out of the next two weeks and be ready for the marathon. Cause like, I don't like the idea of doing a whole lot less volume, a lot less intensity. I hate the idea of like, I, maybe it's my, and a lot of that other athletes can relate. We're like type a personalities. You're either getting faster or you're not. And yeah, that's kind of how right I feel in a taper. So like, yeah. how do we do this? So I feel like I'm getting to the race fast. I, th I think all that extra time that you have when you're training a little bit less, you just do the little things, you know, take care of your body, foam roller, hypervolt or whatever the little things are you need to do. Um, just kind of feel like you're getting something in, you know, and, and I think that's the the best thing. Sleep a little extra. I know that probably makes you feel worse about tapering, but you know, <laughs> you do what you can. I know you've got a, a little right. line. So yeah, I'll, I'll do my best, but like, and I, I was thinking about it, like every race, whether it's, Ironman, marathon, whatever it is, when it comes time to the taper, I'm almost ready for the race to be over. Like I'm two weeks out. I'm already starting to think about like getting back on the bike, what next year is going to look like. And like, maybe that's like, says something about my mentality or like leading into the race, but that happens to me every time. Like there's, I wish there, I could almost move the race two weeks up and just do it and get it over with, skip the yeah. taper, do the race and and move on. Yeah. And, and it, I kind of feel the same way about St. George coming up. Like I'm kind of dreading the the downtime before the race, because I feel like I'm not quite as fit as I hope to be at this time of year. And so like, I know the race isn't going to be probably quite as good as I hoped. And so I feel like I'm just kind of racing to race and I'm missing out on, on some training that I could, could bank for next year, but just going in, this is the, the last big race of the year might get in one or two more little races before yeah. the end, but so, yeah. So I feel the same way. Okay. All right. We'll get through it together. Um, yeah. back to kind of the, the news segment. Um, so for the rest of the conversation, we're going to be talking about, uh, the U S open, which was the race you were at. You saw the pro men and women race. Uh, you also saw, obviously you talked about it, the PTO U S open. Um, then we'll dive into the, the organizations of the triathlon, Let's do the recap first, though. Uh, it was really kind of cool to see really a bunch of the best triathletes in the entire world come in to the U.S. right to your backyard uh, and, and do a race that you could go watch, right? I think that's one of the coolest things about the PTO with these open events, Canada, U.S., 
et cetera, is that they have the amateur events earlier in the day and then the professional events later in the day. So all of the amateurs that come down to the races have a wonderful opportunity to actually watch the professionals, which is, I don't think that there's really any other organization that does that or highlights the pros quite as well. Um, so kudos to the PTO for that. Let's jump into the women's race first. Keith, can you give us a highlight of what you saw? Yeah. So I, unfortunately, um, even though I live here, I did watch the women's race on the live stream, uh, mostly from home, uh, just because it was really, really hot and knowing, or at least at the time thinking I was about to be out there for a four hour race the next day. Um, I did not stay out there to watch. Actually, I didn't go out there at all. I got my packet on Friday and and I kind of had a normal Saturday at home. Um, kids had soccer and practice and, uh, our team had practice, all that kind of stuff. So I watched it from home. Um, but it's still pretty neat just to, to get to see it. Um, I think our picks did pretty well, right? Uh, overall, well, I mean, your, your winner, your, I know, your winner didn't yeah. win. I, I think, yeah, my podium, two of my podium finishers were not, not close to the podium, but, no. um, yeah, Flora and and uh, Paula, they were sixth and tenth, respectively. Um, yeah, but it was it was neat to watch. Lucy came out of the water first with Taylor, and then uh, Lucy didn't wear a swim skin, and Taylor did wear a swim skin, and so she had to take that off. But they were out, and then Taylor kind of just went for it on the bike. Um, they did seven seven mile loops on the bike. It was an out and back with a U turn. Uh, what was really cool was that they biked through transition, kind of like a draft legal race. Um, yeah. and I guess Lucy went the whole first lap in one gear. She said that she, she doesn't know what the problem was, but she thinks that the battery on her, on her shifting overheated, she said it was charged. Mm -hmm. Um, and so she was able to get to the mechanic and they swapped it out for her and she was back, back. Rolling. I'm just I, shocked. She... <laughs> I just right? want to be like, wow, the mechanics actually have a spare battery for, yeah, I wasn't, I, didn't I was shocked by that. Yeah. So they, they swapped out the battery. Um, I don't know what she rides and, and where her battery is because for me, I think that would be a long change because my battery's inside my seat on my Durays. So I don't know well, exactly. SRAM, it might just be plug. You just plug them right into the derailleur. Yeah. Maybe it's, maybe it's easier. Um, so I don't know how much time yeah. she ended up actually losing on from that, that change, but I, it might've affected the race because she was running faster than Taylor. Uh, Taylor had a pretty nice lead off the bike. Um, I think she was something like seven plus minutes ahead of Ash off the bike. Um, and then kind of late on the run, you saw her start to, she looked pretty good for about the first half. And then she started fading and then she walked a little bit and then she walked in some spots that weren't aid stations. And then that's kind of when you knew she mm -hmm. probably wasn't going to make it. Um, yeah. but Lucy was running a little bit faster. Maybe that, that cost her second place. I'm not sure. Um, she also, I don't know if you caught on the, I, cause I, I watched some of the live stream and some of the highlights. So Lucy lost a bunch of bottles. She wasn't able to get the bottle in behind her seat when she took hydration on the bike. So not only did she have the mechanicals, but she was having hydration issues, which is not the day to have that. So yeah, it certainly was, it was pretty brutal. Not, not good. Yeah. And I think, I, I think the women's race too, on, on the nutrition side, I think it was hotter than the men's race. Uh, like I think the actual temperature might not have been quite as bad, but the, uh, 
the women didn't have any shade because they started right in the middle of the day. And so the sun was right overhead. Um, whereas the men starting at 245, by the time they got to the run, the sun was at least kind of, you know, on the way down. And so they got some shade from the buildings, whereas the women were in the sun all day. And, and so I think that was, that made it pretty rough for a lot of people out there. Yeah. Um, and then I think right, maybe so, just the last, the last comment is the the 20 meter draft zone in both races was, was interesting. Seeing it live is a lot different, I think, than watching it on, on TV or watching it at a race like Daytona where they're, they have the 20 meter zone, but they're all in the, the circuit. Um, but they all did a good job from what, like from our vantage point, like it was, it was good. It was fair. Um, but I could tell it made passing harder, especially in the heat. And so I would be interested to see if the PTO would be interested in making the, allowing the pros to pass like age groupers. Because I think the hard part about the the pro pass is you're not allowed to be directly behind someone when you pass them. Um, but with a 20 meter draft zone, if you've got to pass six, seven, eight people, that's like a huge surge to try to get to the front when you're not allowed to slot in and you have to do it all at once. And so it would be interesting if the pros could slipstream draft or slipstream pass, I suppose, um, and allow them to slot in and then pass and then move back out and then slot in and pass because that's, that's pretty tough to try to make all those passes at the same time. You're just end up with legal drafting slingshots, right? That's the oh, problem. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how that would work. Um, so I was, I thought this, this race was awesome, uh, on the women's side. And I was really impressed certainly with Ashley Gentile, like seriously, she's on a roll right now. Um, Canada, the PTO champs, the U S open at a 70.3 distance event. Like she has to be considered the favorite right now with what she's, how she's performed so far in 2022. Um, I'd love to see her jump up to some iron distance, full distance branded events to see how, how she fare. But man, the run that she displayed in the heat in Texas, uh, after a very impressive swim and bike, uh, it was dominating. So yeah, I thought that was pretty impressive. I thought Taylor was also quite impressive. I wish she would have been able to hold it together a little bit better on the run, but she's 24 still. So, I mean, the sky's the limit for her. Um, and she's still planning to do the Olympics, right? Next, next session, 24. Yes. That's, that's what I understand. I don't think she's going to, uh, be moving up permanently anytime soon. Yeah. So, so it's probably going to be a while until we see her in any of the Ironman or full distance type of events. But every time she comes out to compete, she's on the podium. Yeah. And really, I think she is really going impressive. to at least race 70.3 worlds. Whereas uh, Ashley's getting married and she is done yeah. for the year. I think she said she's going to do the Noosa try and then she's done. Um, but Taylor's going to try to do. 70.3 worlds plus finish out the, uh, the world triathlon series calendar when they yeah. pick up pretty soon. So I think, I think they both had amazing results. Lucy obviously had an amazing result. And like, let's also not forget le less than six months ago, she was walking around on crutches. So even though she had all these technical issues, she had the fastest swim, the second fastest bike and hung in there on the run, even though she didn't have the hydration that she needed and was 
cranking a cadence the first lap of the bike um that note like i like the it looks like she's riding at 60 to 70 rpm um so i think even though she was third uh i think she's showing that she's in really good form and she's ready for kona so i think all three of those athletes had, had a really good performance what i was surprised about um were certainly your pick flora duffy uh cat matthews and paul finley like i think all three of those i had higher hopes for uh in terms of performance um but this was a really unique race with extreme heat uh and you don't know how your body's going to handle or re respond to it so i like also don't want to take away too much from it i still think paula finley is probably one of the best 70.3 athletes out there uh cat matthews similarly good at 70.3 really great at the Ironman long distance events as well. Um, so I don't think that this is a race that you take too much from. Right. And I think that, uh, before we move on to, um, the athletes that you were just talking about, they're probably all a little bit more focused on Kona. Um, but the news did come out yesterday that Cat Matthews got hit by a car. I don't know if you, you've seen that yet. I, I just kind of that. No. this morning. Um, but she's got some fractures in her skull and her vertebrae. Um, but she's expected to be, perfectly fine is, is what, uh, her husband posted on social media. So, um, uh, but I feel like that's probably a no for Kona then. So uh, I would think so. Wow. I, I, you usually don't hear fractures and skull and spine and perfectly fine the right. very next breath, but, um, okay. I hope she's, I hope she's well, um, I did yeah. not, had not seen that yet. And um, was definitely hoping to see a good performance out of her and Kona, but she's got more important things to think about. Yeah, it sounds like they were on a ride. They they trained in South Texas. She's with Patrick Longa down in I think near the Woodlands, uh -huh. and uh, he said that the car came around a corner and, and hit him head on. So probably a coal rolling trucker, right? Son so, but uh, I guess moving on to the men's race. Um, I did get to see this in person and I, I stayed and watched uh, the whole thing and it was pretty fun to watch just them flying through transition on the, on the bike and the run. And uh, even on the swim, it, there was about a 50 meter run uh, between swim loops. So we kind of got to, we got an idea of who was in what pack and, mm -hmm. um, but it, it seems like the swimmers didn't really push the pace that hard. I don't think the, the swim was super fast. Um, but somehow Lionel and Sam still missed the group by a lot. Like, yeah. Uh, don't tell, don't tell Sam and Lionel that the swim wasn't fast. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, I was watching it with some of the, the boys on our tri team and, uh, the big group went by and there were about 20, 25 guys maybe in the big pack after the first lap. And I, I said, I didn't see Lionel, but he must be in there because there's no way he's this far behind. And then 20 seconds later, he comes out of the water and, and runs by already over a minute down, um, after the first K. So, um, a little bit disappointing. I think that they weren't a little closer. Um, but I mean, it wasn't a problem for Sam. He ended up biking straight through everybody. He had the fastest ride by 80 seconds. And, uh, and the only guy that re that rode anywhere close to him was Florian Anger, who was off the front. Um, and, uh, it looked for a while, like Sam was going to win, but Colin Chartier, who I don't think anyone really expected to, to get a win, maybe a top 10. Uh, yeah. he just was kind of moving nice and steady all day and made the catch pretty close to the end, maybe three K to go, I think is about where it was. Um, 
and it, you could tell that was it. There was, there was no way Sam was going to hang after that. So Sam, yeah. Um, yeah. and then Sam ended up actually getting passed by Magnus. Um, Sam passed Magnus early in the run. And then we were all kind of excited. We thought we were going to get a sprint finish between Magnus and Sam, but then Magnus dropped him with about 400 meters to go. And that was, I it. mean, so they were 10 seconds apart at the finish. That's pretty much a sprint for finish. Sam needs to quit losing races by five and 10 seconds. Um, yeah. That's getting painful for him. You would think, who did you pick again? I had Ditlev. Who, who was your pick? Uh, I think I picked oh, yeah. Lionel. Well, he I picked Brownlee. No, he I didn't picked Brownlee. So Brownlee. my he default pick start. was, yeah. yeah, I picked Lionel for second. So I was yeah. assuming it was Lionel. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that was a little bit disappointing. But I'm sure that Lionel's in the same boat, just like the women that you're talking about. Like, he's probably thinking about Kona more than um, this race. So, yeah, um, that's that's a big bummer. But is we also he's not going to be at Kona. He's out, and Gomez is out at Kona, both with femur fractures. Like what's happening to people's femurs right now? I'm not sure. And and Gomez is is closer. It's on the lower end of his femur, and so usually a stress fracture in the femur is kind of up toward the top near the head. Um, So it's interesting to hear him say that it's down low. That's kind of an unusual spot. Um, But Colin Chartier, he's going to be going to Kona for the first time. So. We'll see. And he's coached. Is he coached by Mikel? Mikel? Yes. Yeah. So he, he has the coaching that the, that you get, um, with the, um, Gustav, Gustav's brother, right? Yes. It's Gustav's brother. Uh, Gustav's brother. Okay. All right. Just wanted to make sure I was clear on that. Um, Lionel all have the same coach. Yeah. But I, I just wasn't as familiar with him. Um, but a really amazing performance. Obviously he performed extremely well considering the heat. Sam's bike was impressive. I was kind of, you know, when the race was going on live, I was trying to figure out, okay, where the heck is Lionel? Why isn't he up there racing with them, biking with them? Um, in his post race videos, he talked about it. It was just the heat for him that he couldn't handle the heat and that he was, wasn't feeling it on the bike. And that's a little surprising to me considering this is a guy that literally trains in Tempe and it's like 90, hundred degrees every single day for him not to be able to handle the heat. So, um, seems to be like a very common thing when Lionel doesn't race. Well, it's, it's hot weather makes me nervous for Kona. So that's, we'll talk more about Kona and our race predictions there, but, um, Lionel is, is continuing to show that he just doesn't do well in those environments. Uh, happy to see Sam Long place ahead of Sam Laidlow. I think that that's always great, especially since they uh, created a little bit of drama for everyone to follow in triathlon. Um, and yeah, I guess other than that, uh, it was a it was a fun wa- a fun race to watch. I think the women's race had more drama, more back and forth, and then you know someone charging through the field. So overall, I found that more entertaining. But the men's race was was good as well. Yeah, and. I hope they bring it back. I'm, I'm anticipating that they're going to try to switch locations for next year. I feel like it's it's unlikely that it's coming back, but we'll uh, we'll see. I'm I feel like all the athletes are going to think it was a little bit too hot, and they're going to ask to move it somewhere else. Here's my question: Did you get a signature from Sebastian Keenley? I did not. Did you get him to I, sign something. No, um, a lot chance. of the kids on our team 
went around and, and got, they got a lot of autographs like on underneath yeah. the bills of their hats and on their shoes and things like that. It was kind of funny to watch. So, yeah, I think the fun, like the most interesting thing about the men's and the women's race, like if you just, the women's race had a handful, like five or six, um, but the men's race had seven people that started the race and DNF'd, right. Just to kind of show you the yeah. heat, the pace that they were, that they were working at. Um, and knowing that finishing in the heat, that they were racing out just wasn't going to be productive and potentially dangerous. So that was a common storyline. Yeah. Yeah. And it's even, you know, when you uh, just have to finish to get a couple thousand dollars and these guys were, were dropping out, that was pretty surprising. So. All right. Great summary on the PTO race in Dallas, Keith, let's kind of get to the main topic for conversation though, which is um, a unique one here. We want to talk about all the organizations of triathlon. Pros and cons. Which ones do you love? Which ones do you hate? Which ones do you care or not care if they disappear next year? You've been doing triathlon um, for, I don't know, 20 plus years. Can you take us through these different organizations? Give us a quick summary and then let's, let's chat. Yeah. So we'll just, uh, I'll run through kind of the, the major players, at least in pro triathlon. So um, the first one, these are just kind of in chronological order from when they, when they started. Um, Ironman, you know, obviously the longest, that's not quite the original triathlon, but pretty much the original long course triathlon. So, you know, Ironman, I think is known as, you know, the big brand of long course, they put on pro races, they put on age group races, um, but they are a company. And I think that's the biggest thing to note about Ironman is they're not an official governing body. So there is an Ironman world championship, um, obviously because of the history that's huge the Ironman world championship, but it is a self-declared world championship. It's not like it's a, you know, the FIFA world cup, right. Or the FINA swimming world championship. It is just a self-declared company putting on its own world championship. And so I think that's the one, the biggest thing to note about the Ironman worlds. Um, about 20 years ago, uh, the next, the next group challenge, they were part of Ironman and they split off and uh, created their own brand. And so they're kind of a competitor to Ironman. Again, they're mostly a long course focused group um, and they have some races all around the world, um, but they no longer have races in North America. And so they decided not to do that. And um, a, another company called Clash split off from Challenge and they're the, the company that's now putting on races in NASCAR speedways. Uh, the next one is World Triathlon and it was formerly the International Triathlon Union. Uh, they changed their name just a couple years ago. Um, a lot of the sports, actually, the the Olympic sports did that. Track did the same thing. They're World Athletics now um, instead of the International Association of Athletics. So that was kind of a, a global change. So World Triathlon is what we're supposed to refer to it now. Um, they had their first world championship in 1989, and then they changed the draft legal in 1996. Um, and part of that was to try to make a spectator-friendly sport that could get into the Olympic Games. And so they govern everything that's that's draft legal. Um, they do have their own long course world championship, which I think to some extent you could almost say is more official than the Ironman world championship because of the fact that it is actually a governing body. But I think as if you follow triathlon closely, you know that world triathlon's long course championship is not a highly competitive race, generally speaking. Um, but they're again, they're known for draft legal and, when we get into a summary, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. 
Um, and then one of the newer groups is Super League. I think they, I want to say they started in 2017 or 18 was the first year. Um, and again, that's another draft legal format, but it's lots of super sprint. They mix up the order of the races. They do multiple races in the same day, or they'll do multiple triathlons continuously without stopping, uh, things like that. But they've been able to get some of the big name draft legal stars to come do their races. Um, but they're more, and they pay pretty well. And so I think that's, that's nice for the pros to have that, but they are, um, purely draft legal. And, and so that's another, it's a short course Avenue. Um, and then the last one is the professional triathletes organization. That's the PTO that just put on the U S open. And they're an organization that's trying to grow professional triathlon globally. Um, they have a, a big financial backer that's right now funding everything. And so that's probably one of the the weaknesses that we'll talk about here in a little bit, but they're trying to make triathlon mainstream. They're putting up big pro purses. They're spending money on uh, visibility and being able to stream the races and watch them. So um, I think it's good for pro triathletes to have a voice. Um, but right now the, the PTO is kind of becoming a competitor to Ironman. Um, I think our hope probably is that it's at some point they're going to work, work out a way to kind of blend a little better. Um, but right now they do appear to be, at odds and that's that'll be kind of something to follow the next few years so Uh, so summary of here's my first here's my first question coach does the international governing body the itu the world triathlon do they does it matter in our sport they represent they represent uh the draft legal format mostly a draft legal format, which most triathletes don't ever participate in and don't ever watch. Right. So that's my, that's my stance on it as an amateur, never raced draft legal, probably never will. Um, so do, do them having, Hey, we have the, our own world championships, long course, world championships, draft legal world championships, the whole series, the Olympic, competition which is a draft legal competition i know it's the international governing body but just for hey let's throw this one up first one for conversation uh it's it's less relevant than probably all the others formats because it's less relevant to what people participate in it is and that's that's what makes it difficult but i think that i don't know if triathlon would be quite where it is if we didn't have inclusion in the olympics either and so um i think that's something that's it's kind of a a catch 22 with if we have this organization, it's going to help us grow as a sport, but then at the same time, it's not the type of sport that we're all used to. Right. And I think, you know, if, um, just a, a popular example, right. It's like Paula Finley is, is very popular. Now she and Eric have their podcast and their clothing brand and their YouTube channel. And I don't, I think a lot of people probably never knew who Paula Finley was when she was a great short course athlete, but because of the visibility of Ironman and long course, right. That's kind of launched her to be a fairly common name, right. For as far as professional triathlon goes. Um, so is world triathlon relevant? I think not as much as they should be. Um, they've good, done a good job. I think of partnering with Ironman to try to make a few things similar between the two, but, um, for now they're, I think they're still the most professional organization though as far as the way they put on races and, um, you know, they do televise the races. 
um, back when you and I were in high school, they used to show IT races on Fox Sports, albeit at unusual times of day. But your local Fox Sports would show <laughs> the uh, the World Cup in Malulaba or Madrid or wherever um, on on TV in the U.S. So they did try to do that. Now, of course, they have their own streaming platform, like everybody does. But uh, World Triathlon is the to me, it's the most professional organization. Um, as far as money goes, it's probably the best paying organization if you can find a way to be good at it. You know, it's not like Ironman um, where you go out and you win a 70.3 and make $3,000, right? Um, but if you go to World Triathlon, one of their big series races, you know, it's $20,000 if you win the race. So there's actually, and you can race them a lot, which I think is is a, a plus for the distance. Um, but I think the other thing that World Triathlon is doing is they're making our sport a little bit more spectator friendly. Um, it's better to watch on TV. I'm guessing that by the Olympics in LA in 28, it's going to be a sprint. It's not going to be an Olympic distance anymore. Um, and so they've done a good job to partner with Super League and figure out ways to make triathlon more television consumable, which I think is something that we need. Okay. We'll just not dive into that. that. That's an interesting point. Does tell does triathlon need to be television consumable? I don't necessarily agree, but what I think the IT world triathlon needs to do different is better engage the masses for people that participate in the sport. It's fine if they want to really target draft legal, but they don't do much of anything for the non draft legal audience. Right. And that's where triathlon, that's where the money's at. And they don't do much to support that avenue of, of the sport. And that's what I think is lacking, right? Like they're the governing body, but they ignore an entire aspect of the sport. The biggest piece of the pie from my perspective uh, and let all these other people come in and handle it, right? Which is fine because I think they're, we're going to talk about some of these other organizations. I think Challenge, Ironman, the PTO, they're doing a really good job of advertising and bringing new people to the sport in a non-draft version of of the course um and it's just a you know hey we do have a governing body but they're they completely ignore it i, I don't know about ignore it. they do have age group world championships in non-draft that that happen concurrently with the pros so you can go do sprint super sprint olympic distance long course duathlon aquathon yeah one it, it, it doesn't doesn't better the sport. I don't know if just because you have, you know, to your point earlier, where they do have a long course world championship, it's not the most competitive. Uh, just because they have that race, so that they can say, hey, it, that candidly, the only reason they probably have that is because they are the governing body, and they probably feel like they kind of have to have that. Uh, they have it, but it it means means little. Yeah, but a sprint Olympic age group world championship is pretty fun to go to as an age group. Like they're, sure. they're very they're very competitive. Um, but what they do need to do, and I think this is what you're saying, is like all of their it would be nice if there was a better publicized age group event at all of their world triathlon series races. Which well, so they usually they have used them. to Yeah, but they're not as big of a deal as like this PTO tried to make it, or like Ironman, where the age groupers are really the race, right? Well, I don't even know how much they do it anymore because um, I, I I need to participate more in some of the more local and regional race events, race series. But they used to uh, 
partner with local race directors to have regional championships and, you know, bring regions together. Hey, here's the Midwest, here's the Southeast, here's these different things that are going on. Um, and I, and that's a, that's a whole nother group of organization that we're not talking about, right? The local race director, which is ultimately probably the real reason people try triathlon because it's a local race in their town and it's down the road. They want to give it a shot. Um, all these organizations we've talked about, probably very few people do their first triathlon in any one of these organizations. Most people are going to do a local race and these organizations don't do much to support those local race directors very much. I think the world triathlon and national level governing bodies should do a better job of supporting those, um, bringing people to those races, funneling them up through whatever path they think is best. Um, but right now there's no, there really is no path. The only path for triathlon is maybe you find a local race, you do one or two, uh, and then, Hey, I saw the Ironman thing on NBC. I'm going to give it a go. That's probably eight out of nine, eight out of nine people go that path. And, um, I don't know if that's the, it is the best path for people to participate and enjoy triathlon. I think there's probably a better route to go. Yeah. And I think that we could have a whole different episode on USA triathlon. We didn't include that in here because they fall under the world triathlon umbrella, but, um, yes. And to your point, they did away with the regions, which I was not a huge fan of. Now they're trying to push everything at the state level. So instead of having regional championships and state championships, there are only state championships and they're trying to make those bigger, but yeah, to your point, like there's, there's something that I think these overarching bodies can affect where, especially in a country like ours, you know, if you go over to Europe, your triathlon is, is much different than our continental confederation. And so I think like for USA triathlon, they obviously have to cover a really large area geographically. And I think that's their, their biggest challenge so far. Okay. All right. Let's go to the, let me just ask the question. What do you think? Which organization is the most influential in triathlon? Ironman. Right. I mean, I if people are willing yeah, to tattoo their be. logo on their bodies, then uh, <laughs> yes, it's Ironman. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, uh, and then people, that's, like you said, that's not even close. Yeah. 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 That, that's, that's probably the best point to make. Um, and if you look at it in terms of the money, right, who's, who's actually making money? in this sport. Right. And it's Ironman. Um, I'm, I'm looking right now. I don't remember how much they, uh, they sold for, but whenever they, didn't they sell for something like $800 million? Um, so, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of money, right? That's a big company. Yeah. Uh, so here's, I know it's, it's so fun to hate on Ironman, but here's the good thing about Ironman is that they consistently put on, really quality races and they give a great experience to the amateur athlete. They do everything they can to deliver a great experience for the amateur athlete. And they're extremely well organized. So from that perspective, uh, I, unfortunately I haven't had a chance to race PTO or a challenge race. I hope to someday, but Ironman makes it really tough for competitors to come in because when you think about the money that this how you make money, you have to have the amateurs on board. Um, and there's really not a whole lot that Ironman is lacking when it comes to the amateur experience. Some people will complain about it, everything that happened in the pandemic and refunds or how do I get deferrals, all those tiny little things. 
But for the most part, people don't complain about, hey, I went to this race and my experience wasn't great or the course ran out of water. Like you just typically don't hear about that. They're well-run events. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've ever really had a bad experience at an Ironman race that I didn't cause myself. So (laughs) uh, they're all pretty good. And so uh, that is true. Um, and, And that's why that's why it's a company, right? And that's why it's a, as far as we can tell, it seems like a fairly successful company. So. Yeah. I think, um, they, they have to kind of be viewed if you're trying to get into this field, if you're trying to come in as an organization like challenger, the PTO, or if you're just trying to be a race director, they're the organization that you try to emulate. Um, you, you try to duplicate as much as you can when you put on a race because they, they make it special for the people that are going to come and bring money. Now that brings up the other interesting topic, which is the Ironman world championships, right? You mentioned it is self-declared to me. It doesn't matter if it's self-declared, not self-declared the athletes of triathlon, those people that want to do long distance recognize that race as the race, right? It doesn't matter that there's a world triathlon long course championship. It matters that every athlete circles Kona on their calendar and they try to go to Kona to be as fit as possible. So to me, that is still the world championship and probably will be for quite a while. I don't see it changing anytime soon. Unless they try, try to move it, which is a, a different conversation. It is. It, that's a much different conversation, but it'll still be, I think, Iron Man's world championship, right? The, the sponsors that put their money into this sport the bike brands, the clothing brands, all the apparel, everything that comes along with this sport. When they sponsor an athlete, they're going to look at that athlete's results in Kona, yeah. right? Or maybe the 70.3 world championships if, you know, that athlete really specializes at that distance. But um, they're looking at how did they do at Kona. Yeah, for sure. So to me, I think that's uh, Ironman has a lock on the – 70.3 the full distance events in fact saying 70.3 that is iron man branded right right yeah nobody i mean it's it's really a half an iron man so it's a half an iron man but you can't say 70.3 you can't say the 140.6 right if you go to a non-iron man branded event they'll just call it full or half yep that's how much iron man has locked down the sport yeah for sure I guess it's, I, I could, I wish we could sit here and say bad things about Iron Man and say, Hey, they're, they're locking it down. They've like taken name rights away. You can't even say Iron Man anymore. Um, but they're, they're still put on really good races. So, um, yeah, maybe the only negative though, is they have purchased a lot of the independent races that people liked, I think. And so I'm, I don't know if that's good or bad though. You know, they probably made them a little bit better, but then at the same time, I think the, the normal local races that you were talking about earlier kind of disappear when they get bought by Ironman because it's not a local triathlon anymore, right? Um, so they sure. did that whenever they they had the the uh, Longhorn Triathlon or whatever they called Austin back in the old days, and then Ironman bought it, and then it was the Longhorn seventy point three, and then it became seventy point three Austin, and then um, unfortunately ended up going away. But um, that is one thing is we kind of lose some of those those little local races, you know, um, Buffalo Springs Lake and Lubbock went away and now it's, now it's Ironman 70.3 Lubbock and it's not at Buffalo Springs anymore. And it's, it's at Texas tech and it's just a little bit different. So 
I, I would all like, I know that there's probably examples where people were like, Hey, I like this race in the venue or the format or how it was run better before. But to me, the local, the area, like a regional race director, I will seek out their races for that sprint and Olympic distance race. And sometimes you'll see the half, I mean, very rarely a full uh, type of race kind of advertised by a local race director, but, but I seek them for the sprint in the Olympic. To me, I think that there's a lot of complexities that Ironman and bigger organizations challenge and potentially the PTO can overcome, right? Working with municipalities, getting the right street closures, having it so you don't, you're not just stuck on a sidewalk. You're talking about the U.S. Open. Sounds like you were stuck on a sidewalk where you can only get three athletes wide on the run course. Um, to me, that's that's a, a good example of the PTO just not having the experience or ability to work with the local municipality to get more space, right? Like yeah. Ironman wouldn't have put their racers on a sidewalk and had them running in two directions. They would have known that that's not going to work or that's going to cause a conflict. They wouldn't have put a aid station on one side of the sidewalk. So if you have to come from the other direction, you're colliding, right? So it's like when, as the races get bigger and uh, longer in length and more road closures and more just technically harder to put on, like I, that's kind of where I see the benefit of uh, Ironman, yeah. the, the management and their experience. They have the experience. Yeah. And they can afford it. You know, some of the local races, you get 400 people at a half Ironman. How can they afford to close all the roads? Right. Well, they're not closed actually. Right. I've done races on open road and, uh, and you're like, okay, you you know, most of they might put at a key stops sign or something like that, a a police officer, but you know, you're going to be riding on an open road through this section, um, which is fine because we do that during our training frequently. But when I'm racing and your mindset's different, like to me, that's a little bit riskier. I don't like that. Right. Yep. Okay. okay. So then, uh, the next thing we were, we want to talk about is which, which organization is the most friendly for the pros as opposed to the, the age groupers. Yeah. Well, I, it has to, it's very obvious, right? You got, I don't know the finances behind the PTO, but someone's bankrolling it and they're just tearing out tons of cash. Yeah. So, I mean, that's great. I think, um, so I think the PTO is the best. Um, I've heard though, that super league does a great job with, taking care of their pros and it's kind of a big weekend and they pay for pretty much everything. And it's, you know, the money is good. The paychecks are good. Um, so I think that that is, is a good thing too. Um, I think that world triathlon is probably next after that. I think they are somewhere in between where they do a nice job of paying pretty deep, but, um, it is the most competitive as far as the quantity of athletes trying to get, you know, in the top spots, so I think it's really, you get kind of get lost in the world triathlon part um, if you're not at the top, but I think that they do a pretty good job of, of having good races for their athletes. And obviously the frequency of races, you know, there's well over a hundred races put on by world triathlon every year for the pros. And so I think that's, that's the one big plus for them. Um, they might not have a lot of prize money at some of those little races, but um, they are out there and they're putting races on, which I think is nice. Yeah, I, I I love what the PTO is doing. The only problem that I have with it is like it's still kind of confusing, right? Like we talked in the last podcast, they just changed their rankings. They updated it. So Brownlee went from like, I don't know, 20th. He hadn't really raced anybody. And now he was like up to the top in the top five. 
and he didn't race again. Um, so he still has a really high ranking. He hasn't raced. He's going to get a good payout at the end of the year. And I don't think he's beaten anybody. So like their ranking system is a little bizarre to me. I like though, that they get a lot of opportunity for athletes to come together and race the best of the best where, um, Ironman really only gives you one chance at that with the Ironman world championships for, for their long course athletes. Um, and that's not really candidly Ironman giving the chance. It's the sponsors telling their athletes to go race that race. Cause it's important. Like there's not, there's a lot of money, but it's not very deep. The PTO provides a lot of money and they provide depth of that money for a variety of athletes to, to come and participate and compete. Yeah. I, I would like to see the PTO the, in back when I was racing pro Ironman had a point system that they used to, to qualify for the world championships. So, you know, now they have the slot system like age groupers do, yeah. um, but there used to be a pro ranking and every race had a different point value and the point value depended on the purse of the race. And so it would go up as the purse went up. I would like to see the PTO adopt something like that. So we know what the heck is going on because having to wait two weeks till after a race is over to get the score is kind of anticlimactic. You know, it'd be nice if, Colin Chartier crossed the finish line at the U.S. Open, and we knew he got two thousand points or whatever, you know, toward his yeah. world ranking. Um, and so that that I don't I don't really like. I wish that you know their majors just had huge points, and all the other races had some small to medium amount of points, and then uh, you know kind of went from there. So that is the one knock on the PTO is that hopefully they they streamline that somehow. And they need to be a they do a really good job of, I think the media and getting their athletes and showcasing the athletes. But you're right. At the end of the day, you have to wait to understand how are the points going to shake out. And then secondly, I don't know how you're getting the updates on these points, but usually it's freaking hilarious for me. Uh, I see the updates in Instagram. Like they'll, they'll, they'll post, uh, Ashley Gentile's last three results. And it's like, Oh, that's how many points she got. I found out at the U S open. I didn't know, like, is there a better way to get these updated point results or not? They're, there probably is obviously it can't just be Instagram, but like to me, that's bizarre. Yeah. And I mean, Colin Chartier, again, kind of using that example, right. He put up, he got 107 points for beating one of the best fields ever assembled. Right. And then you have Magnus gets 117 points for winning challenge Roth which was a good race, but it was not nearly like this one. You know, there were maybe four or five guys that had a chance to win challenge Roth and he gets 117 points just because he went really fast. Right. And that just like your, your Brownlee example, you know, he didn't have to beat anybody really to do it. Um, but then Colin Chartier goes and beats all of these guys that are ranked very highly again by their suspect ranking system, but gets 107 points, which obviously is still good. He's still going to move up the rankings. He, he made a big jump, but you know, he jumped from 17th to 11th and you know, right. he just beat most of the guys ahead of him last weekend. So obviously we're, we're, we're talking about the PTO, what they're doing, right? Iron man kind of on the flip side of it though, is the, the pay is probably too low and it doesn't go deep enough. Aside from that, what does Iron Man need to do different, right? Like if you look at, I think challenge, uh, I don't know, challenge is hard to say it's a competitor to Iron Man, even though yeah. they are, um, they, they absolutely are, but it, it feels like the PTO is a much more direct competitor. It's newer. It's really right. focusing entirely on the pros. It's kind of taken the anti Iron Man approach. Uh, what does the Iron Man need to be looking at the PTO and doing differently? I 
and this is this is the hard part because again, because Iron Man is a brand, I don't know that they really care to do what the PTO is doing. And so obviously I think all of us that are fans of the sport, we would like to see them support the pros a little bit more, whether that's more prize money or, you know, even if they're they had their regional championships, you know, they have the North American championship and the Asian championship and the European championship, all those events, if they would just pay for the top 20 pros to go, you know, kind of like the PTO takes care of, you know, a lot of the travel for some of the pros. I think it would be nice if Ironman could say, Hey, come race the European championship. You're not going to come out negative. Right. And I think that's a a big thing. Um, Even if they just started in 2023 and said, we're going to give everybody a $3,000 travel stipend. That's a pro to go to Kona, right? Like just help these guys get to Kona so they don't have to decide whether or not they want to go. Right. And I think that's one of the biggest things is you go to Kona and you might end up $10,000 negative because you got 30th, right? So you're allegedly the 30th best Ironman in the world and you just lost 10 grand to go prove that. Right. And so I think it would be nice if Ironman would find a way to kind of treat the pros like pros and, and put them on a, you know, put them in a scenario where we can kind of see it and get them to race together and make it worthwhile for them to do the races. I, I mostly agree with what you're saying, except for like, I don't think Ironman has to go as far as the PTO, right? Like the PTO is paying for people to go to the Collins cup. The PTO is paying for some, like, like to your point, we're not going to leave you negative, right? We're going to try and help you come race, come participate. We're going to put it on a good rate. I don't think the Ironman has to go that far, but like if you're Ironman, you're a brand, you're right. You're watching the PTO uh, put something together. What I think is most threatening about the PTO has to be just how well that they organize and demonstrate the pro triathlon race experience. And what I mean by that is it's the social media, it's the interviews, it's the pre-race, it's during the race, it's everything afterward, it's the the follow-up, the highlights, it's the live stream quality, all of which Ironman, I think, is not doing nearly as well. You go to uh, Ironman World Championships, it's coming up in a couple of weeks. We are not going to have nearly the quality of content coming out from Ironman that we got from any of the PTO races. And I think that's the most disappointing part, which means it's left entirely up to the athlete. Like if you're a, you want to go race Ironman, you have to bring your own media. You have to put yourself out there through YouTube, through whatever other social media to make up for the lack that Ironman isn't creating as much awareness around your sport and your participation in it. And I think that's what Ironman needs to be thinking about doing differently. Right. Yeah. Because it is tough. I mean, it's, if you're out there as a pro racing long course, there's just not enough right now. There aren't enough places to, to make any money at all, you know? Um, and even most of the Ironman races, if you win, you still come out negative, uh, depending on where you're traveling from. Well, I mean, if you're a pro, uh, and this is the part that I think the PTO helps with, if you're a pro, you have to train like a professional, which is a full-time job. The PTO says, okay, come to our race, be a professional. We're going to take care of all the media. We're going to get you the film. We're going to get you pictures. We're going to get you all these other things so that you can leave you and your sponsors will be happy. We're going to, we're going to show you off. Your sponsors are going to be happy with the coverage and exposure you get. If you go race an Ironman race as a pro, okay, you have to go, you have to be a pro and you have to be a social media manager, a content creator, and all these other things to make money. 
And that makes it really hard, right? Like, I mean, without Talbot Cox, like, um, for a lot of the professional athletes in North America, they probably wouldn't be making money, right? He kind of showed the way with, with Lionel, um, to create a lot of really positive social media interactions and more have done it since, right? The way to make money in Ironman isn't necessarily going, being the best Ironman athlete. It's right. Go be a really good Ironman athlete and bring in all the other social media engagement and other things to make your sponsors happy. Right. Which is, it's, it's cool that, that they are doing that, but it's also unfortunate that you can't be an athlete, you know, and just be good at your sport. I mean, I can't believe like very few sports are that way. You kind of, you have to, right. everyone wants to engage, right? Like with social media nowadays, everyone wants to engage and get to know somebody and um, yeah. relate. And that's, that's what, that's what creates the willingness for a sponsor to come in and say, not only am I going to give you my $10,000 bike, but I'm going to pay you as well to ride it. Yep. So, all right. So we haven't talked about challenge or super league. Um, for me, I've never been able to race a challenge race. I would love to, especially Roth, just considering the history. Uh, I that's wish that they had some, yes, I wish they had some North American races. I'm not that interested in clash though. Um, so I think you, Keith, you said you've, you've had some people on a team go, go race a clash event and it was pretty well run, but, um, I'm, I don't know, racing on a circuit speedway just doesn't sound that interesting to me. It would be like a one time. This was cool. And then you're done. You know? I, yeah, I guess like, Oh, that was a novelty, but yeah. like, to me, I much prefer probably to not be doing 45 circles around a course. Um, but Hey, whatever brings more people to the sport and super league. Yeah. It's just, again, I think it's, it's a little, you, you said they take care of their pros, but it's a little small. It's draft yeah. legal. Um, I don't ever, I, I've never seen the races. They're not in the U S it's predominantly, what is it? Predominantly yeah. Europe or Australia based or is it all Europe? It's fun to watch. It's fun to watch, but they don't have, uh, there's not, there's almost not a purpose which is, I think, the hard part and why it's hard for them to survive. Like, I think that it's it's a really cool thing to watch and it makes people engage in triathlon, but it doesn't have an end. I don't know what the end goal is other than, hey, that was a cool way to watch triathlon for 45 minutes, you know? Let me ask a tough one. Which of the organizations do you think that we talked about is going to fail first? Probably well, maybe saying not counting Clash because that it's kind of new and off to the side. I would think Clash would be the first to go, um, and then probably Super League, uh, just because they're pro they're the kind of the same boat as the PTO, where they have a big financial backer that's putting up the money. But I don't know how long they could continue to be negative before they lose that funding. Yeah, I would agree possibly but i also think the pto is putting out a lot more money that's my concern yeah, sure. we don't know anything about yeah. the pto uh, in terms of finances and all i do know like you just said how many people were at the u.s open the, i heard 750 i mean we could look at the results but i think it's about not, seven not enough people in the two races yeah that's not enough people so they're bleeding money um yeah, and not only that concern. but there was a there was a referral thing, you know, so like I signed up and I sent my registration code to three people and then they got the early bird price and then I'm supposed to get my money back at some point. So how many people did that? There might only have been 600 registrations that actually came in. Okay. So like it's the picture's getting even worse. Um, hey, 
someone could be bankrolling this with the full intent to just keep it going and and let it be what it be. But to me, I think that there's there has to be serious risk here when you look at it because what does the PTO make? Yeah, honestly, I don't know if anything. I can't think of how they're making a penny. So yeah, it's there can be a lot. That's so. the challenge. So to me, unfortunately, I have to say it's the PTO. And that's kind of why I brought up the question earlier. Like, I hope Iron Man is watching this and seeing like, what is the PTO doing that's actually successful so that they can better themselves. But at the same time, if you're Iron Man, they're a business. They're probably looking at the PTO like, yeah, let's two more years max. Right. And this thing is going to yeah. be gone. Yeah. So that's the unfortunate part, but hopefully they, they find a way to, to make it work. I think my dream scenario, maybe this is where we'll, we'll wrap up. I think my dream scenario is that World Triathlon and Ironman and the PTO figure out a way to, to be cohesive. You know, So something where the money is good, the PTO also supports draft legal, and then Ironman has like certain races that they partner with the PTO on to kind of make them bigger races, but they're Ironman branded. and or like they're an Ironman brand race, but the pro race is put on by the PTO so that they can somehow be together. You know, like a big, a big age group race, like Oceanside is like the PTO U S Western championship or whatever. And they make it a big pro race and the PTO puts up a little bit of the funds and then Ironman runs the age group race and they can be together somehow. That's, that's yeah, what I, would, I think you're making it I don't so think confusing. Yeah. Why would the PTO just put money into an Ironman race? What are they going to, the question will always come. What is the PTO going to get out of it? And right now they, they're getting nothing. And kind of the last comment I would put is the only comp, the only company here that's probably turning a profit. That's not getting outside money. Well, other than investors is Ironman. That's probably the only one that I can, candidly see is has long-term success on the horizon. Um, and it's going to come out on the, I shouldn't say the backs, but it's going to be come from the participation of age groupers willing to sign up and participate in their races. As long as they're doing that and age groupers are showing up, they're paying the entry fees. They're going to the towns. They're staying in the hotels. Those races are going to continue to go on. All these other challengers are trying, I think in essence, based off our conversation are trying to address something they think that Ironman is not doing well enough right i hope they adopt and learn from that but i don't think that they have to yeah and that's that's the hard part yeah yeah but hopefully this was hopefully this was interesting and and gives you a and gives everyone an idea of what kind of triathlon is out there what to go watch go watch draft legal support draft legal support your local races i think is what we learned from this and uh go do the PTO races. If it, if it's new. just race, like the, just, just race. Like, I think it's not like one organization is, is better than another. Uh, is kind of my takeaway. Like just go race, go participate, go have fun, go consume the social media because that's also how these athletes make money. Um, it's not just the, the race entries, um, or the prize purses. That's right. So. All right. I think that that pretty much wraps us up. Um, no weekly workout or any questions today. We, we really were eager to dive through this conversation. So thanks for sticking through with us. We have a couple episodes coming up in the near future. So make sure to follow along if you're interested in uh, our preview of the Ironman World Championship. And then also we need to do a pre-Chicago episode. So 
Yeah. Lots Thanks of fun stuff coming up. Those together. Yeah. All right. Perfect. All right. Thanks, everybody.